to Dinner Table Talks. It's me, Joe Hilliard, and who's with me? It's Lynn Campbell! You are here! Okay, I've got a exercise for us to do. I've got two things written down here that we could talk about here up top. Mm-hmm. I've got shelling peas, mm-hmm. and I've got sex life, which is your talk. I uh-huh. do not know what we're going to talk about here. I know. We've got so much fun stuff to talk about today. Can we keep that one briefish? No. Hmm. Not that particular one. Save that to next week. Yes. All right. Shell and peas. (laughs) We all love black-eyed peas. Last week, we talked about a black-eyed pea recipe that you should go back and listen to if you have an Instant Pot. It's just the one. It's so simple. It appears that most Southerners have an affinity for black-eyed peas. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, I can certainly just tell you that throughout all of the years of me doing it. I mean, you always hear somebody on New Year's Eve saying, I ain't eating those black-eyed peas. Uh, I'll eat them, but I don't want I don't like them, but I just have to do it because it's a custom. But they're surely Yankees. I mean, that's all I have to say about that. No, I'm just kidding. Probably eating their Navy beans. <laughs> no, um, I definitely have heard that over the years, but for the most part, as a gardener, farmer, I have learned that when the black-eyed peas or the purple-hole peas come out, everybody's trying to get to them, and most people are not letting them go. <laughs> so I think it's kind of funny. And I so I get asked for peas a lot, but we've been hanging out with your mom a lot lately because we're trying to get her out of her apartment and get her moving and kind of more self-reliant so and, she can I'll, go I'll and do. And i say it, she's adopted this kind of like more enthusiastic lease on life in the last, I don't know, couple of months. Well, I mean, I look at it this way, either live or get off the pot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's living. Exactly. Exactly. So that being said, she was, we were chatting last night and she said, um, oh, I'm so happy you brought me some peas to shell. I love shelling peas. My mom is included in your overflow of abundance. Of course she is. So I send over bags of fresh onions and carrots and all the, all the bounty. I know the things right. she likes. She loves this time of year when uh-huh. it comes to harvesting, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, I just, I love shelling peas. I'm so glad you sent me some peas. I stood for an hour and shelled peas. So I asked you the question. I said, why does your mom stand to shell peas? I said, because my experience with shelling peas is that that's the thing you do to rest in the summertime, <laughs> you know? Like You sit on the back porch with some of your friends, and y'all just sit and shell peas yeah, and gossip or yeah, talk. Or yeah, exactly. While you're watching a TV show, that's yeah. what you've been up to. Back in the old days, they used to go sit in the one air-conditioned room with the radio turned on and listen to the radio story in the middle of the day while they shelled peas, you know? Like, stories like that. And it's been funny. I mean, I noticed even as we've pushed out the idea of talking about peas on the podcast, and everywhere I go, people are like, oh, I love love shelling peas. I used to love sitting by the pool with my grandma shelling peas. It's time to promote last week's podcast. And I wanted people to know there's a fantastic, simple, quick black eyed pea recipe. Mm-hmm. So in that post, I posted two photos, one of a beautiful bowl of black eyed peas that we enjoyed, but the other picture was quart bags of mm-hmm. shelled black eyed mm-hmm. peas, and that got a lot of attention. Yeah, I think it's just something about the tradition, and if you think about it, where we were doing these tasks in the summertime, June or July, right? And if you think about how people are always like, oh, with my mom, or oh, with my grandma, or oh, with... So it's like hearkening back. It's probably not the pea shelling that you actually loved so much. It was the idea of like hanging out in a comfortable place in the summertime, doing a little bit of work, 
knowing that right when you got done with that, you were going to go jump in the pool and eat some watermelon or something like that. Like just that whole like Southern, we're hot in the summertime, so we're going to get some fresh air and cool off and sit down and shell some peas, which is why my mind went crazy when your mom said she stood for an hour and shelled peas. You ain't doing it right. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong here. When everyone's grandmother had a garden... Black eyed peas are so easy to grow. You'd literally buy a bag from the grocery store, no, and you could just scatter it out and they'd just grow like crazy. Yes, you can do that. And I've encouraged people when they're doing things inexpensively. It's also just really, really good for your, your gardens. It's actually animal fodder, which is why they call it cow peas, because they would plant it in the fields and then let it sprout. And, and then, then it would release the, the animals to eat it okay. after, you know, so... That's a part of the reason why it was a thing that happened. Just like we talked about with High on the Hog. It's the same concept. It was the food that was available. Let's turn it into a masterpiece. Let's make it something really phenomenal. And I even love the idea of the New Year's Eve traditions, the New Year's Day traditions in the South harkens back to black-eyed peas, cabbage, greens, like all of these things that were very Southern comfort foods. I read an interesting article, and the thesis was that the ability to get any fact at any time with a phone in our pocket is devolving conversation. Before I read the article, I was thinking to myself, what a great time to live in. You hear me talking over and over and over again about the duality, like seeing two things at the same time. And and you've heard me say there are 7.9 billion worlds on the planet. Are you going to go down the path of whether information technology is going to devolve you? Are you going to be in that dimension? Or are you going to go into the dimension where information technology is just a stepping stone to understanding the power that humans have in our consciousness and the ability to do certain things and that we can access that information without technology. We just currently are using technology to access it. Here's why I bring it up. Last week, we were talking about our first restaurant jobs, Black IP and Casa Ole, respectively. And then you asked, is the one that I worked at, the one in College Station, is it one of the ones that's still open? I could have quickly Googled that, came up with the answer, put it on the podcast, edited out the search. Well, that goes back for, to the know, concept week week. of me always saying, don't break the flow. You can call it devolving conversation, or you can call it people that are wise enough to know when to not stop the flow. When to, to pull the phone out of their pocket and exactly, when not to. Exactly. When to and when not to. There's a flow going on. Don't don't stop the conversation to go look up some information. Maybe not during which, a job interview. <laughs> exactly. Which got me thinking, and actually, I sent out a podcast just today that I thought was really interesting, which Eckhart Tolle at Google and him talking to the, Google people. Yeah, oh, the, the Googlers, the yeah. information technology Googlers. You mentioned that Eckhart Tolle's name last week in the show. I do. I've been listening to a lot of what he has to say. He's resonating with me right now in a way that he, he wasn't resonating with me before. He mentions this concept of how, I think it was Dalai Lama. When someone asks him a question, he says, I don't know. And that's kind of a like a standard response. But then after he has the chance to say, I don't know, and take a few breaths, <laughs> he then comes up with the most brilliant answer. I think about that sometimes with the way I am about parenting, because my answer is almost always no, <laughs> no. or uh, let me think about it. But my kids have learned the best way to get what they want out of me is to give me time to process to the question. To give you that time to think about it. Exactly. Right. And so I think that, that there's a lot of different ways that technology can go. 
So is the Casa Ole that you worked at, that you toiled at in your college years, still there? It is at Post Oak Mall? Yes. Okay. Post Oak Mall. Still Holy open. <laughs> of course it is. I told you. What if the next time we went to College Station, we ate there? We should totally go eat okay. there. Okay. But we'll be the kind of people that tip at the Casa Ole. F***ing <laughs> A. Last week, you talked about your own personal magical mystery tour while doing uh, some keen observing of the fly community at a restaurant <laughs> that you were at by yourself. Uh-huh. And then we both realized we don't really know how flies work as far as society. Do they have a nest? Do they have a home? Do they have a family? Are they receptive to flies in their little domain club? Uh-huh. I can't not think about Larry Cashin when we talk about flies. Oh? Because Larry Cashin always had a thing about killing a fly like that. He would go like deep into this talk about killing a fly. I can't do it because it's a sentient I don't even being, remember or? exactly what it was. So we might need to get Larry's opinion on that. <laughs> within a, That could be a while. <laughs> within a week of mating, and I'm just reading from an article. So if this is inappropriate, I apologize. <laughs> A doggy style activity lasting a few seconds. A <laughs> doggy style activity. A female fly will lay an average of 120 eggs. She prefers to deposit her potential offspring in nice warm manure. Mm. Then in roughly 12 days, the eggs develop into larvae, then into maggots, then into pupa, from which flies emerge fully grown. That's why you don't see baby flies. Mm -hmm. If you see tiny flies, it's a species where they're just small. Sure. So there were like different varieties of, of flies there on that table that day. I wasn't there. I know that you were having a transcendental experience. Because <laughs> there were some little flies and then there were some big flies and then there were some flies with like different shaped wings. Right. Flies only live for a few days Yay. and their entire thing <laughs> is to do what? Eat shit and die? Eat shit and die. <laughs> oh no, you left off one. Reproduce. Oh, okay. Eat oh. shit. Fucking <laughs> die. And die. Oh That's a God. fly's life, and it only lasts a few days, and they don't have a sense of home or family as we understand it. They don't have any conscious thought. I was about to say I don't know, but you're not <laughs> going to hear a gong right now because I'm done with flies. <laughs> then you mentioned about figs and wasps. Uh -huh. Welcome to the insect corner of Dinner Table Talks <laughs> this week. Now, this is a little longer, but it's fascinating, so you tell me when you get bored. Fig trees have no visible flowers. Who would visit such an unattractive non-flower as the fruit that we call a uh -huh. fig? Uh -huh. A fig is actually the stem of an inflorescence, uh -huh. very enlarged and fleshy, that surrounds the tiny flowers inside uh -huh. the fig. Uh -huh. The crunchy little things that you notice when you eat a fig are the seeds, each corresponding to one flower. Such a unique flower requires a unique pollinator, as opposed to a honeybee that goes from flower to flower to flower in your garden and Wiggles fertilizes and... your tomatoes or whatever it is. No, he doesn't fertilize anything. What's the word I said? Fertilize? I meant... Pollinate. Uh, thank you. Flower powder. <laughs> flower power? Flower powder. I don't know what that means. The powder from the flower. Pollen. Uh-huh. <laughs> All fig trees are pollinated by very small wasps of a specific family. Sure. So you get into this concept of mutualism, mm -hmm. most widely known from the clownfish in an anemone. Mm -hmm. The clownfish cleans the anemone. The anemone provides a safe place for the clownfish to live and not be attacked by predators. Uh -huh. Mutualism. When the female flowers inside the immature fruit are ready for pollination, the fig emits an enticing aroma that attracts only female wasps of the specific type for that tree. Are you bored yet? Mm -mm. 
The wasp finds the fig by its scent and struggles to get inside through the small opening at the end of the fig. It's such a tight passage that the wasp usually loses its wings and pieces of antenna. But oh, that's that does right. not it matter dies inside there, right? Because it will never need them again. Mm-hmm. It runs around the interior of the fruit, visiting many flowers, laying its eggs inside the future seeds that will nourish its progeny and also spreading the pollen collected from the previous fig where it was born. Having fulfilled her life's mission, the female wasp dies inside the fig. Mm-hmm. That's gross, one may be thinking. <laughs> when I eat a fig, I could be eating wasp guts. No, isn't it like it gets eaten up by the acid inside the fig or something like that? That's exactly the correct. The enzymatic matter eats it. So that's not exactly a mutualism. That's more like a parasitic situation. And the fig tree is the parasite. Well, this article calls it a partnership, an incredible partnership that requires fine-tuning, synchronicity, and it's one of those things that when you consider like everything that nature offers that we humans kind of ignore. No, to me, it gets back to the concept that why is it so weird for me to talk about the magical mystery tour and to suggest that there's all of these things that we don't understand and then for us to describe the fact that a tree has evolved into a place where it eats wasps through a fruit that's like a flower of which we ultimately end up turning into jelly. How's that not weird? Or pizza. Or pizza. Oh, yeah. Francesco from Bellino's Chef, yeah. right? He's using the figs tonight on his farm-to-table dinner. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. One year ago today. Time What are we doing here? What are we doing here? When you listen to the episode that we released one year ago today, we made gumbo. It was part of the five mother sauce mm. challenge. All I have okra, okra coming, but it's just barely thing. starting to come. And your main complaint when we ate it that night was there was not enough okra in it. So I put more okra into the leftovers. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the theme of the program. The theme of the episode one year ago today was you planting seeds, like how I did that, Mm -hmm. for the business that you are currently operating. Mm, Yes. Number one, the pavilion was under construction. Mm. And you, of course, already have sold out the third Mm -hmm. farm-to-table dinner Mm -hmm. and other fun, amazing ideas that you have for that pavilion. But... We opened the episode with you super excited about how you had sold like $15 or something worth of figs Uh that you had harvested that day. Uh Uh-huh. You come a long way, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I sold figs to the chef, and he's going to be using them on the pizzas tonight, and he's also making like a fig pie for the farm-to-table dinner. Are you asking me to go get a fig pizza and bring it home? No, because you can't eat the grain. I would be willing to give it a try this time because he's, remember last time we talked, he wanted me to try. He's like, go for the pizza. Now that I've given myself, my body some chance to heal a little bit, maybe. So, and if I do it in the right circumstances where I'm not concerned, then if I do get sick, then I got. Watch how I do this. (laughs) I wonder how that pizza tasted. I'm excited about that. He's also made like drum with pieces of tromboncino squash. Oh, that he bought from you? He did. It was huge. You saw it. How long? How You know scale better than I do. How big was that freaking... That tromboncino squash was about four foot long. Huge. Yeah. And I got it out of the car and I was walking to the house with it. And three cars drove by our house out front. And I'm not even shitting you. I'm pretty sure I almost stopped traffic. With what this, the hell is she carrying? What does she... It's either a the most ginormous bong you've ever seen. <laughs> 
or the most ginormous dildo you've ever seen. Now, we bleep out the F word. Do we bleep out dildo? Why would we bleep out dildo? Dildos exist. <laughs> they do. They matter, too. <laughs> whoa, whoa. This is an unanswered question. <laughs> Actually, it isn't. Uh, so that's just been fun because now I have two restaurant chef investors and in what I call Aislinn's Larder. What's a larder? That's a weird word. It's like a pantry. It's the cellar. It's the place where you, on the farm you stored. Storage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You stored your cheese. You stored your vegetables. Your larder. Your larder. It's a fun word. A lot of people from other parts of the country might understand the term CSA or community supported agriculture share type of situation. I've done something similar to that. I'm calling it an investment and I'm selling you nine months worth of produce, you know, with coordinated dates. And the reason I call it an investment is because the idea is, is that you're helping me with the cash flow that I need to go ahead and buy the seeds and any materials that I need to plant the vegetables that I'm oh, going to deliver to okay, you. I got it. Correct. And, and we've talked on the show so many times about how one of the missing ingredients here and where we live to get that farm to table thing going at restaurants all over town is delivery of that local food. Exactly. You're handling that as well. Exactly. And oh, one of the ass. biggest challenges of vegetable distribution for farmers is the idea that they've got this produce and they've got to be it has it almost has to be pre-sold because if it's not then it's going to sit there and rot while you're waiting for someone to buy it okay and so my stuff is i've got a portion of my stuff that's pre-sold i've got a portion of myself that's pre-sold to my overflow of abundance with my family and friends like your mother and my our family and my brother and his wife and then i've got you know other bartering systems that i do and so all of that stuff has been flowing really really nicely and just the same sales of my produce, the sales of my flowers, all of that stuff has just grown and grown. I've got this farm to table dinners that are just really doing well. My intentions are to start a couple of new things. And that is that I want to do another type of larder, investment larder, which is basically for families. So it's less of an investment, but the same amount of months oh, I of see. produce. It's guaranteed food throughout the growing season. Exactly. For your family if this is a way you want to eat and live. Yeah, you're gonna be, be you're gonna be sure to know that you're gonna get fifty dollars worth of vegetable groceries from me over nine months period of time. So that's coming. If we were closer, I'd give you a high five because I see that you're filling holes in the local food system. Well, and if you think about it too, it's very easy to get for even us, for anyone, to get lazy, especially as we get back into the busy life, right? To get lazy about cooking. However, if you've already prepaid a big chunk of money for something, and then all of a sudden a basket of groceries show up on your porch, you put them to use, you know, and that's how that works. And so I think that the pre-investment is, number one, people that are in interested in investing in a local farmer, Number two, interested in investing in knowing that they're going to produce some good food for their families. They're investing in their selves. Yeah. Good job, you. Thank you. L let me set this up. Sure. Your daughter's boyfriend is about to go to college, mm -hmm. but before that, he's leaving for a summer job. Yes. I've grown quite fond of this young man. I think he's a good dude. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how it came up exactly. He's never been to a Hacha Hacha. Now, we just talked about Hacha Hacha a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Hacha Hacha, of course, is teppanyaki-style dining. Let's go. Your daughter said, let's go to the new place over the bridge, much, much closer... To where our farm to is. To where the farm is where we're mm -hmm. moving in in just a few months. Mm -hmm. No problem. Made the reservation. My mom, your parents, me, you, her, her boyfriend, sat down, 
around a hibachi table. Post COVID <laughs> hacha hacha. Hacha hacha hacha. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. I know. Let's talk about the meal. I thought the food was really good. When you do hibachi, uh-huh. you'll typically everyone will order off the hibachi menu, although a larger menu is offered. And you elected to get some sashimi, I think. Yeah, because I don't eat the meat really. I mean, I had a bite of a piece of steak, you know, whatever. But I don't. Your eat mom and dad got and lobster. I, I think we, we got a bite of that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, exactly. But I love the hibachi style fried rice, and I'll eat shrimp. But I really like sashimi. Sashimi is really my favorite, and I don't just do like chunks of meat. I like it when they serve it in some kind of good sauce. Like it's of some swimming kind. in a sauce mm-hmm. or a so it's like ponzu. a chef's plate, a sashimi chef's plate. One of them was ahi tuna, and one of them was yellowfin tuna, and they turned out really, really, really good. Like yeah, I, I, took a I bite would, of each. I would great. go back and eat those easily. I thought that the fish was good. It tasted fresh. It was nice, thick chunks of meat, little steaks almost. I got scallops and shrimp. Uh huh. I thought the food was excellent. I thought our guy was entertaining too. The guy like he was, was good. He was funny. Yeah. He did a joke that I'd never seen before. Oh. It was the little box. Uh huh. Oh, the one where <laughs> Lily had to like slide open the uh-huh. lid. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen that. <laughs> Something jumped out. A at mouse her. jumps out. A fake <gasps> mouse jumps and out. I jumped and slung sake everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I got hot sake, you got uh, cold, cold sake. Cold lemongrass sake is what it was called. <laughs> it was crazy, that place, though. And it's nice to know that there is a place where we can get sashimi that's a little closer to our ha- our new house yes. than having to drive all the way to Corpus Christi. Yes. And I watched carefully while he made that fried rice. Yes. Was Every he doing anything different than I do? Uh-huh. How can I make it better by watching a professional? And here's what they do. He had the big bowl of butter. And he had a big bowl of garlic paste. And rather than pre-mixing them, uh-huh. he was able to just ladle out as much as of each. Uh-huh. And you can buy that at the grocery okay. store. I, mm, that would be a helpful tool. But I'd like to cut mine up fresh. Yeah, but using paste is a thing. One of the things I said like right away is that the crowd looks so different. I'm from the, ci- the city that this is in. Like, I grew up there. I went to school there. I graduated from high school there. I did all the things I wasn't supposed to do in life right there in that city. (laughs) And there's a completely different crowd of people there now. It's, and it's always that that city's always been known to be a little bit of a transient city because of where it's located at. So you've got this situation where there's just like all these new people and they look very different than like a Corpus Christi restaurant of people. It was Packed. That's what I was about to say. And Packed. my mom said every restaurant in our area is like that right now. Packed. And I find that when we go out here in town. Well, and the other thing is, and I've said this over and over again, there just is a lot more people in our city. Since 2017, when Hurricane Harvey hit us after that happened, we have grown so fast in those last five years. I already had a feeling of not wanting to be in these like high sensory whatever. But then we walk into this place. The moment we walk in the door, the footsteps we're taking on the floor are making up weird lighted up patterns. You're walking on like a dance floor, but it's not a dance floor. And when you step down, LED lights are springing around <laughs> your, your footsteps. And then you walk right in and you look at a literal statue of... Drago. <laughs> well, the restaurant's Drago. called Poseidon. I don't it think we've Poseidon. said that. It was Poseidon. Right. It was Aquaman. It's but... Aqua-themed, Poseidon-themed <laughs> restaurant. I was 
Later on, I had gone back through the restaurant to go to the restroom, and I looked at a waiter, and I said, where's the restroom? And he goes, take a ride at Drago over there. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's actually Drago. I, I like, don't want to get too deep it into it. This restaurant had a weird <laughs> was, motif and decoration. It was like everything. Everything. It, it was every All kind of, of thing. Yeah. Every color, every... Material. <laughs> LED lights on every wall. It was. It was, I, I don't... I walked into the farm, into the house, my mom, the farmhouse today, and my mom, and the first thing she said, she goes, I had such a good time at dinner last night, but it was like being in an amusement park. And she I was like, isn't wrong. No, it's exactly. I it said, was like, I felt like I was on some kind of psychedelic drugs or something. We were taking <laughs> Lillian's boyfriend to his very first teppanyaki place. And I told him, I've been to places around the country that are elegant. <laughs> Th this place had so much energy inside of it. And I don't think really any of us were prepared for the level of energy in that place. Mm -hmm. It was packed. Uh -huh. It was loud. Uh -huh. They're banging, you know, they, during the chef's <laughs> thing, they bang their utensils together and right, flip right, them right. around. Yeah. That was happening every five minutes all over the room. <laughs> then they had a drum, like a, <laughs> dum, a drum, every, happy birthday. Every I think. table had a birthday party. Holy Lord. <laughs> I was so glad we didn't have a birthday at our table. I was exhausted before we ordered. I don't know if that's like me coming off my COVID induced let's not go out and do very much uh -huh. and now here we are but all of that being said i really really had a great time at one I point i looked over to you and i was like thank you for helping and supporting this to occur tonight you know at one point the, you looked over me and said i'm about to have a fucking breakdown i did that too yeah <laughs> You had a plate in I one hand, a, a menu in the other, a drink on your head, and you were like, I, 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 there's too much going help. on right now. My brain's not Hand processing me that plate, things. grab that menu, set it over there, let me put the plate down, you move that. <sighs> but it was good, though, too. It really was. And I did have some fun conversations. All things, you know, leading into kind of where we are in this world and conversations that we're having. At one point, my... Mom and dad, who are like at the other end of the tapanyaki table, right. which is like almost impossible you to talk anyways. You sit in a anyways. horseshoe around it. Right. You, you're not across from each other in a traditional table by any step. You're next yeah. to people and yeah. your rest of your party's down the line. So we're like yelling at each other. And you had to yell because there was a drum party going on. <laughs> but we were talking about like the changes what? that are coming in our area. The oh. changes that are happening yeah. in this place that we're at. And... All of that got me thinking, even going back to what we talked about last week, just in where we are as we now come out of 12-month situation of mm -hmm. like lockdown. And yeah. I guess it's been 18 months at this point. I mean, it's been a whole thing. And how do we now process actually what we want, holding space and creating space for what we actually want and who we want to be with and where we want to be. And, and this idea of just, are we going to go back to normal? And just some of the things that we've been talking about recently. Russell Brand does a couple of different podcasts and things like that. I usually watch them on YouTube. And I had sent this around to you, certainly, and my parents. A yeah, few you other send people. me your favorite ones. I always enjoy yeah, when you do that. And it was talking about rage and how we're raging, you know. And, and my theory about all of that is that, number one, we're opening back up again. And you've got people that are coming out of this, like, cocoon almost, you know? Yes, geographically might be a little dissimilar, but for the most part... Well, it's certainly dissimilar for us because 
while I, I, the rest of the world has been in lockdown, I haven't really felt like we've been in much lockdown. So now as it's opening back up again, this is where choose. we begin to say, what space do I want to hold? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to be? Do I want to go back to normal? No, I don't. Do I want to get busy again? No, I don't. Do I want to hang out in crowded public spaces? No, I don't. But it is fascinating to watch how it's happening and how it's coming about. And even to the point of the wealth balance, which is part of what Russell Brand talks about. And I don't necessarily agree with the theory that he comes up or with his solution, but what he talks about in this podcast that he's doing is that he talks about how as we come out into the world again, we're like raging at each other and we're like screaming at each other. And I'm we're mad like, as hell. And where I used to might take it once before, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it anymore. He talks specifically, the examples that he uses is the amount of unruly passengers in air travel. Yeah. And there's data there yeah. that prior to the pandemic, they'd have, I'm making a little bit of this up. I'm trying to work from memory here, 150 annual occurrences of an unruly passenger, but that in 2021, we're up to 2000 already. Mm -hmm. So to me, that got me thinking, and this is one of the responses I gave to something recently. I believe that there's been a whole, whole lot of us that have been comfortably asleep for centuries here, existing, birthing, living lives, dying, birthing, living lives, dying, but we're just asleep. Just like those flies. We're just asleep, like here. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm the Delta changes. hand. That's my hand. I'll, I'll trot along with this hand I've been dealt. Uh huh. And then when when the hole shakes out a hand because it's fallen asleep over here, it wakes things up and it creates all this adversity, which is what we were talking about last week. But when that happens, all of a sudden, this was my response. It's like we're sleepy little toads floating along in a river, and all of a sudden, the river gets toxic, and we can either die in our toxicity. Or we can go, oh, what the hell's going on? Well, what's happening is Jump we're, out of that river we're waking up river. and we're looking around and we're going, what the hell is going on around here? Why the hell is that guy allowed to treat me like that? Why the hell is that lady allowed to treat me like that? And we're responding because number one, we don't know how to respond. We don't know how. Number two, and this is the one that I told you, when you finally get back out in public again, and you're sitting down to have a beer with that friend that you used to sit down and have a beer with, but you've called him everything but an asshole, literally, on Facebook, now you have to look at that person in the eye and have a polite conversation over a beer. If you haven't completely stricken them from your lives because they had some different opinion about you about one thing. Of course. So we've been sitting behind these screens. Mm -hmm. Raging. Raging. Fighting. Uh-huh. Trying to figure ourselves out, trying to wake up, trying to wake other people up, whatever it is that we're, you know, doing in these spaces and the times that we're trying to do them in. And then the other interesting thing that's happening as it relates to the growth in the area around this restaurant we were talking about, there are so many people down here that there are no houses. There's not enough houses for people to a housing live in. Right. There's not enough restaurants for people to eat in. There's not enough staff to have the restaurant, you know, whatever. But all of that is all happening at the same time that we have this interesting increase value in materials, value in right. labor, value in all of these things are increasing. The prices of things have gone up. So I hear people complaining about how expensive things are in some dimensions 
And then in other dimensions on the same planet, I hear people going, there is so much money right now that we can study anything we want to. We can study any technology we want to. We can study any new pharmaceutical medicine that we want to. We just have so much to look at in this sociological, fascinating experiment that we're living in being an individual that is a perspective of God. I am simply a perspective of the whole. And as that one perspective, this is the experience I am now having as we, a human being consciousness, begin to wake up all over the planet. Well, the previous model is that there are those with capital that can then create income from that capital. And then you've got another class of people that don't have as much capital. So therefore, they cannot economically generate from it. Mm-hmm. The haves and the have-nots. Well, what we're what, learning right now is is that we can consciously create. We're all haves. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more young people become millionaires. Yes. we're seeing, And so what is it, a generational disparity? Is it the idea that the young people have tapped into things that the old people don't have the knowledge enough to tap into for them to be just as wealthy as these younger folks? Or is it that... The younger folks are expanding the possibilities because they haven't been taught not to because in the old model we were taught that you can't have if you don't already have. This is a big question because there's like, there's all kinds of things happening right now as we wake up. I can just tell you that there's opportunity to consciously create and people are saying things that we couldn't say a year ago, like a year ago. I would have been afraid to say on a public podcast some of the things I'm saying right now. And now I have zero fear because I know where we are now. Stop manifesting lack in your life. Make space for what you want and go freaking get it because it's available to you. And yes, some people believe that you require certain types of technologies and certain types of things to do that. And some of those things will create the path of least resistance the quickest. But if you're doing without right now, it's because you're choosing to do without right now. And that's where you are in the space. And either it's time to wake up or just know that that's what you've chosen for this lifetime of yours. That's hard to hear. That's an interesting thing about this podcast. Personal responsibility is difficult to understand. Oh, people hate it when I... I mean, I lost friends in the last year over telling people, suck it up, man. Be responsible for yourself and start learning how to take care of yourself. The friends that you lost, who is responsible for them if what you said is so offensive? Who, what do you mean who's responsible for them? I'm not responsible for them. <laughs> Let me ask the question again. Okay. Aislinn, I'm going to defriend you because you're telling me that in order to get past my problem, Bye. I've got to I'm not take personal responsibility for, for the problem. What about that is so offensive that they would defriend you? Because they can't, those words can't resonate to them. Because I don't They're want to take ready. responsibility for myself. They're not because ready I don't... for that. They're hmm. not ready for that. It's too painful. There's too much pain inside that they haven't been willing to look at. Someone said today, it's very easy to be comfortable in your uncomfortableness. That's the frog in boiling water. That's the way our city has been for at least five decades. Comfortable in its discomfort comfortable in our discomfort. You asked me the other day, well, if we've been comfortable, why do we complain all the time? I'm like, because we're comfortable complaining. Because that's what we know. Why do we as a city tend to be a high complaining city? Yeah. 
because we're comfortable complaining. That's what we know. And you were the, I, always I the one saying. that said, all you do is scream about it. You don't do anything. I'm at least over here trying to do something. Yeah. But doing is, isn't the answer, really isn't the answer. But it's something while I don't know what else to do. This is a potential rabbit hole. Maybe we don't want to go down it. I was asking last night, with all the growth that's coming into this area where this restaurant is, how do we all feel about the powers that be in this area to shepherd it into a thing that benefits our quality of life? I don't f***ing care what he, they do because he, I'm going to shepherd it. Me, Watch me. It's Kate. Let me ask you Not this. Not only that, but there's a lot of other very, very powerful energy moving people happening in our city right now that nobody in this city actually even knows. They're not freaking mayors. They're nobody. And they are making money hand over fist in our city. And they are investing in some cool ass shit going on here. I promise you the old school shit missed the boat. And we've been telling you, you're about to miss the boat. You're about to miss the boat. The boat's gone. The boat's gone. We're about to be the sparkling city by the sea, one of the most energetic powerhouses in the entire world. Watch it. Do you remember how I told you that the owner and chef over at Sugar Bakers, a restaurant near our home where they have a cucumber dill cold soup that you love so much, was going to give us that recipe? Ah, yay. He did, and I made it. Yes, yes, yes. Mine wasn't as good as his. I'm going to have to follow up with a question. Again, we said this a couple weeks ago. We promised him we would not share the recipe. But when we made that cold cucumber dill soup a year ago, we decided that we need to cook the ingredients rather than it being a raw soup. Uh-huh. His recipe is a raw soup. Uh-huh. Nothing was cooked. Okay. You stick it all in a blender. You've got uh-huh. the quantities correct, and it uh-huh. comes out the way that his comes out. Uh-huh. And, of course, you refrigerate it for a few hours to let it melange. Uh-huh. And get real cold. The issue that I had was how, what's the word, foamy, frothy? Yeah, it was real frothy. I don't know if that's a function of me blending it too long and letting air kind of froth into it as it's blending. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask him that. I bet he lets it sit. How was the flavor? It was really, really good. And then I, I ate it leftover a couple days later. Uh huh. And it was, it had settled more. Okay. And it was really nice. What makes a cold, raw soup frothy? Well, the cucumber is what makes it frothy. I can already tell you that. Because it's filled with water? Lots of water. Because when I put cucumbers in my smoothies, my smoothies started becoming frothy smoothies. Okay. So what's the secret professional chef trick to not getting it so frothy? That's what we need to find out. Maybe you use a hand immersive blender instead of a blender like we use. And then also I bet they do let it set a little bit longer. We will find out. The question of the week, what do you say when someone gives you a gift that you already have? I've been in this situation. My girlfriend in high school knew that I wanted a cordless phone before I went to college. That's hilarious. Cordless phone. All right. Was what you wanted as a graduation gift. And so she got me one for Christmas. What she didn't know was that my parents got me one too. So by the time I got hers, I had already received my parents. The one my parents got me was badass. I said, oh, oh, awesome. You know, my parents got me one, but it's great to have two. And she got so pissed. Uh I was like, I didn't create the facts here. I just told you the truth. What do you say when someone gives you a gift? That's kind of how you handled the two um, cast iron walk situation, too. 
Help me out. What do you mean? Because <laughs> I bought you one, and then Hunter bought you one. We have a <laughs> so we, family and not gift exactly exchange the same. where I had put it on an internet list. Hunter's is better than mine. Yeah, uh, no, I know. Bullshit. I get no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, what did I do when I realized that I got And I to? got so pissed. But what did you get pissed at? I'm just teasing. What did you get pissed at? I don't know. What did I do there's the same? Some, there, there's, there's something about you that is like oh, careless. Like you don't care. Okay. I care less. Okay. I care then, less. Okay. Then here, listen. <laughs> okay. Listen, you can tell me what I did wrong. If you answer the question, what do you say when someone gives you a gift you already have? I didn't buy two cast iron skillets for myself. It walks. Yours was the flat bottom and his was the bowl. And I use them both and they're both great tools. And I'm I glad I have both. I don't say anything. If I can get a receipt and change it or fix it or whatever, then I just do it. But I couldn't in that Christmas situation with you and Hunter's walks because here we are in a room together and I got two walks. But I don't know. Same. I don't know. It's a stupid question. Who cares? So what do you say? You don't say anything. You just take care of the situation. I just take care of the situation. Exactly. Everything doesn't require a whole dramatic You say it's a stupid question. I'm pissing people off my entire life. (laughs) Either live or get off the pot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime... Hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. (laughs) 